Welcome to the Brain Coffee Podcast, where doctors Eric Luthard and Albert Kim unlock life's little mysteries about health, wellness, entertainment, technology, and how the brain makes sense of it all. Sit back, relax, and open up your mind. How old are you now? I'm uh, 45 now. Yeah. <laughs> how does that feel? I'd say it feels different. You know, people say they feel different in their 30s at what they eat and drink has an effect. I mean, you remember in college, you used to eat two Big Macs. It right. doesn't matter at all. Right. But now you have one glass of wine, one extra Snickers. It hurts. a little different. A yeah, little different. like things change. Like, you yeah. don't sleep as well. You get a little fatter. Like, it's, uh, um, yeah, I turned, actually, I turned 44 in May. You're 44. Yeah, and um, it's interesting. I mean, I think that you definitely, that, that whole midlife, I don't know if it's a crisis, but certainly there's a physiology that changes. You That's know? definitely uh, true. Exercise feels different to me. Uh, whereas before, fine, you can look better, you'll somewhat feel better, but now when I do it, it I, I really feel better. So. Recent studies have shown that exercise, both aerobic and weight training, right. is substantially important for kind of maintain neurogenesis, basically this idea that you can continue to you know, renew some of your neural populations. BDNF. BDNF, So brain-derived right. yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that is really amped up when you exercise, like yeah. you mentioned. And, um, but I think it's interesting that I, I remember also hearing that um, that your plasticity plateaus in your mid to late 30s. Historically, when the people talk about, you know, kind of like when you can make your great contribution. Right, when do you it, make your impact? You know, that it, it, there's a neuroscience for why it perhaps happens before you're 40. I do have to say, though, there are new studies saying how certain individuals can remain extremely productive and creative right. even, even right. beyond. Uh, right. There's some famous examples of that, like, uh, for instance, Saul Snyder, who uh, did a lot of things in neuroscience and at Hopkins, but certainly something changes right, right. when you get to your 40s, and so it's not really a surprise that people start acting crazy sometimes. <laughs> yeah. you know? There's a neuroscience to it, and there's a philosophy to it. Like right. through your life, you're always kind of working towards something, right? You know, and then when you hit your 40s, that oftentimes you've either achieved or not achieved whatever that is. Exactly. Right? And I think when people kind of start to really do the kind of the the nutty stuff, or the really, you know. The, the quote-unquote crisis, I wonder if it has to do with, again, plasticity, because again, reduced plasticity is associated with depression. Right, you know, right. And that like, you know, is there just kind of a perfect storm where basically you've got a lot of external factors, you know, social factors, your life is changing, you're trying to think about what's the next step, but your brain's kind of not cooperating because you've got reduced plasticity and reduced plasticity yeah, also no, contributes, I think to, and contributes to depression, right? No, you're and right, so, it's a perfect example of genes and environments. That's right, yeah, that's right converging at this time when, you know, you probably ex externally, like you said, you probably have done something already right. in your life. You're somewhat settled. Maybe the seven or eight year itch happens, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, and then uh, the plasticity begins to change. I think you're right. And so, so you know, back to this BDNF molecule, yeah, this yeah. brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And like you said, it goes up with exercise mm -hmm. uh, and that can change your plasticity even when you're older. You know, they say also that people who are more educated and and uh, and more active in their lives don't get Alzheimer's until well, I was actually later. Gonna, yeah, you know? I was actually going to touch on that because I think one of the things about it is that uh, again, if you spend your life again just using your body and your muscles as an analogy for your brain, right? That like if you spend your life exercising, physically training, that uh, the likelihood that you know when age-related things happen, you've just got so much more reserve. Yeah, right? exactly. And your and your 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 molecular machinery and yeah, your that body. BDNF signaling is way up. And yeah, and like and that whole molecular machinery is kind of primed to continue to maintain strength and agility and whereas if you don't do that and when the age you know kind of 
changes happen, that you don't have any of that reserve, and that's why you're going to. And so I think that like, that that by you know both doing exercise and you know kind of staying cognitively active through right. your life. It's staying cognitively active is like staying physically fit right. for your brain, like a muscle, yeah. like right. a muscle. Your, your your brain is a muscle, and uh, and you just got to keep it strong through your life, or else it doesn't work. So then you know, so we have this convergence of the genes and the environment, and so I don't know, how does it get resolved, right? The midlife crisis. Uh, yeah, right, right. Do you buy a you, Ferrari? You know, well, no, but you know what? The thing is interesting is that like one of the the, the best kind of interventions for. You know, depression often is taking a walk, right. right? You know, exercise, you know, kind of helps that BDNF, it helps plasticity. It probably is helping kind of, you know, your brain remodel when you get confronted with these stressors so that you don't get stuck in a depression. I see. So you're saying regardless of the actual objective outcome, like maybe some guy changes his job or right, right. changes his personal relationships, you think the exercise will get him through it? Oh, I think it's a factor. You know, no, I don't think exercise solves all <laughs> problems, but I think it's an interesting thing of kind of like brain and and body relationship, right? You know that um, like what are the things that we can do to kind of you know maximize our brain's plasticity so we can adjust to the changes in our life? Uh, exercise is one of them. I think staying cognitively engaged is another. Right, one of them. right. And perhaps you know that's another both help and hurt associated with midlife crisis is. Perhaps change is what people are craving to induce that plasticity. Right, that right. right. I mean, but w then what would you say about the person who resolves his midlife crisis by getting a new motorcycle and a new girlfriend, let's say, for instance? I think you know. novelty is a cheap substitute for meaning. That, that actually doesn't resolve it. It's, it's it, trying to induce some change and some plasticity. There's a close relationship between meaning and goal-oriented behavior. And that yeah. goal-oriented behavior is governed by the dorsal attention network. And when you think about the relationship between the dorsal attention network and the default mode network, the dorsal attention network is kind of driving your attention, goal-oriented behavior. Default mode network is your intrinsic you know, uh, self-referencing internal processing system. And those two compete. And one of the things we see in depression, i.e. midlife crisis, is the default yeah. mode network comes up and the, the dorsal attention network goes down. And so if you find a new goal, a new meaning, mm -hmm. then you're rebalancing those networks. And I think that that kind of, you know, in a, in a, again, again, connects the philosophy to the neuroscience of our brains. Again, okay. it may be right. hand-waving. It right. may be hand-waving. No, it I may think be hand -waving, that's reasonable. That's reasonable. I think reasonable. that, that it's, a, it's a deeper level for why we need meaning. So, for instance, getting back to the Ferrari and the new girlfriend, yeah. that... Um, that's not a true goal, right? You know, it's, a, it's maybe a pleasure sense, right? You know, or a novelty or an excitement, but it's transient and it doesn't fix that rebalancing of the network. That's true. But it might also, well, getting back to this idea of meaning, uh, what is important to different people, and you know, you can see it in, for instance, your kids. Your kids right. like different things, right, right, different right. things are important. I mean, but maybe that's why it's difficult for us to come to some common themes of what is the outcome, what is truly meaningful. But you know, wh wh whatever it is, you need something that's sustainable, that has meaning, that's important. Right, right. And that's, then you focus your sights on it. That's right, exactly. And that becomes goal-oriented. That suppresses kind of that default mode network. You know, so that you're, you're less focused on yourself, you're more focused on something externally. <laughs> Given all that, I mean, you're obviously, you know, very well accomplished. So As are you. Uh, so then how is this affecting you? Um, I mean, like crisis. Yeah, you know. like for instance, you you know, you're, you're likely you're going to be a professor soon. You're, you're, you've gotten some phenomenal grants for your science. Um, you're doing great science. How does that make you feel? Right. You know, right. and um, and how does that make you think about the future? Well, again, I we're not 
we're just about at the precipice of, mm -hmm. of midlife crisis. I don't know if we're right in the middle of it. I, for me, uh, 45. <laughs> <laughs> it's just starting. So, okay, all right, fine. So for me, they say it's something on on the order of, I don't know, 45 to 55 is the gen the sweet spot for, at least for guys, uh, mm -hmm. for midlife crisis. I mean, I love taking care of patients. I mean, I just as you yeah, do. Yeah, right, you know, right. you you see your individual patient. Whether or not you can fix it, you're there as a guide, and, and that's great, and you can really help them out, and that's great. But it is, um, it doesn't feed all of my brain, just as it does probably, you know what I mean? It's, well, it's not exactly it's, scalable, like, like you like to say. Yeah, no, I, I think this idea, because I think one of the things that, you know, we've talked about this a lot is this idea of impact. Right. You know, how does the things that you do kind of make the world a better place? When you're a physician, it's one patient at a time. Right, and that's it's great. Which it's, it's emotionally amazing. is incredibly satisfying. But then you think about you set your sights. Uh, can I can I do more? Right. And I think you know once you've I think gotten a certain level of mastery from a neurosurgery standpoint, where you can really you can indeed help you know one patient at a time. You think can I help more? And that's exactly. for me that's certainly what I struggle with most. Yeah. You know, so like how do I how do I do more? Right. So I've been thinking about that and and. You know, in, in our lives, you can the scalability in our surgery is there through teaching residents or medical students. Yeah. That's certainly there, but I, it's really where the science is. I think that, at least right now in my life, mm -hmm. I feel, if anything, I want to do more, uh, and that has potentially greater impact. You know, sure, we can do what we're doing. For instance, for brain cancer, mm -hmm. we can do our surgeries the best we can with all these available techniques. We have the, the medical oncologists and the radiation therapists helping us. But is that really a a, a quantal change in how we're taking care of these patients. That's not going to happen unless we do things with, for instance, resting state networks and the functional imaging that you're looking at or with the molecules I'm looking at. You know, and this is where I struggle a little bit is not just the science, but the translation. Hmm. Yeah, because that, that, that full arc of not only discovery, but turning that into a technology, turning that into a therapy, that whole kind of process, in some senses, I guess that's what, when I think about it, that's what gives me my meaning because it's such a hard mountain to climb to actually right, right. get make your discovery turn it into something that actually is used on patients and actually have it be used on patients not just in an experimental way but that actually changes care i mean that is a really hard bunch of things like you're threading multiple needles that's just right. through the that's eye right. just right. to right. make all those things <laughs> right. happen right right that's exactly right no but that that is a that's a great way to increase your impact i mean me i'm quite honestly i'm a little I know we're both nerdy, but I'm on the more basic nerdy side of the spectrum. If I can f figure out how these molecules dance in these cancer cells, mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. down the road leads to some kind of therapy, then I'm fine with just seeing how how the dance of the molecules Lots is choreographed. Yeah, right, right, right. I just to explain that, and because somewhere, and a lot of discoveries are like this. They're mm -hmm. not even looking for some therapy, and you know, and that'll come out later. I'm just interested in the dance. Fundamental right knowledge changes. Right, right. And I exactly, agree. Exactly. Yeah. So. But that, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about these days in terms of how to increase my impact, increase scalability, and um, I'm hoping we can, we can start doing that uh, more in this next phase of, of my life, basically. Yeah. Every day of the week, we take care of patients who have life-threatening problems, and you really realize pretty quickly that your time on this earth is limited, and you really never For know... Sure when your ticket gets punched. And so you really kind of have this, this gift of time on this world and, and you want to spend that time, you know, in the best way possible. And so, you know, you mentioned you're more on the, you know, the uh, basic science nerdy. I tend to be more tech nerdy, you know, where I, I love the technology. Mm -hmm. And for me, like seeing like an idea that I have get brought to reality in, in the lives of a patient, for me really, 
really kind of is uh, profound. And um, when, for instance, you know, when I remember I told you that one time when, for instance, we created that brain computer interface that helped a stroke patient, you know, put his pants on for the first time. Right, right. And when I and I first saw that, you know, that for me was a, a big moment. Taking that to the next level, where you know, I really can see it widely deployed and really create a new therapy for patients. Or we both do laser and seeing that kind of more widely utilized, you know, kind of across the country, across the world to see tangible results of these efforts for me is kind of, I think, the, the next stage.